goddammit. <laughs> Look, you want me over here, right? Jesus Christ, you didn't have to move the table to get there. Anyway, hello and welcome to the Memory Labs podcast. First of all, I'd like to apologize for last week's episode. I would actually sincerely like to apologize because I was dead tired and didn't really participate much. But anyway, I am Tim. I'm Genji. And I'm Tyson. Hello, hello, hello. Okay, so... Uh, this week's episode, we were go- we are talking about lore. Unfortunately, however, I'm the only one that suffered through all five chapters of the lore that's been released so far for Kaladesh. Look, this one was pretty awful, I'm not gonna lie. I usually make it a point to read the lore, and I think I took like 45 minutes to read the first one, because it was pretty dry. There were some redeeming bits, though. Like- Little bits of humor, yeah. Yeah, like finding out like, that Liliana has a sense of humor. Yeah. A very oh, good one at that. Now, I'm just going to say this. I'm going to say this. Beef slab. Yes. <laughs> there, there's various meat-based nicknames for Gideon through this one, and I love them all. Alternatively, Gids. Yeah. Uh, uh, now I kind of want to read them all. No, well, there's read, all- read the first one. That's really the only one you really want to read. And maybe the fifth. If you want to read from the uh, the perspective of an Etherborn party boy socialite. Because it is written that way. And it <laughs> is weird. <laughs> it's like, huh, she's still wearing that? Does she go outside? <laughs> Shit like that. There was also him mentioning where he wakes up, or he loves waking up in the evening so that the sun shines through onto his solid gold vanity. Yeah, no, no. Sounds, um... Actually, kind of more boring than the first. <laughs> well, shit actually happens in the fifth one. It takes, just like all of these chapters, it takes a while for stuff to start kicking up. Because there's so much expository description and explanations and narrations. Because it goes to different characters narrating every fucking time. So we have to we have to establish the setting. We have to establish the character who's point of view we are experiencing and then we get to shit happening where if we had a single narrative to go through these chapters to link them together rather than just happenings happening round about the same time we might actually have a cohesive story that's actually interesting to read that's kind of the problem i found is that we had to we had to establish everything before it would move on in each chapter because it's from a different person's perspective every time i mean to be fair the other Lore bits do the same thing. It just feels like they were handled better. Yeah. Like, if you've read the Shadows ones, the Eldritch Moon ones, the Battle for Zendikar ones, the other Gatewatch ones... Oddly enough, I read the Shadows ones, but I never read the Eldritch Moons one. I didn't really get too into the Eldritch Moon set. I was way too busy over that point in time. But... You were also tired of your Eldrazi's. Yeah, I was really tired of Eldrazi at that point. That probably had a lot to do with it. But I did read through all of Shadows of Innistrad, and it didn't seem to drag on as much as Kaladesh does. Because it actually had things happening. People that were affected from stories before, and people that are familiar from previous stories are in here. So it doesn't need to drag on with introductions and shit. To be fair, I think that's because, like you said, there's the character familiarity. You already knew Thalia. You already knew Sigarda, Bruna, Gisela, Avacyn, Soren. Nahiri. All these characters existed previously. Yeah. So, like, you you were more invested in them because there were characters you already knew. And it was like, man, we get to find out more about them. Now it's a whole new cast and crew, kind of. And, and the characters that we did know were handled as footnotes. 
For example, Tezzeret shows up in Chapter 3, but you don't find out until the end of Chapter 3 that it's Tezzeret. And it's just, oh, it's the head judge, it's Tezzeret. Oh no! Like, I want to know more about what the hell that guy's been up to, because that'd probably been more interesting. I mean, no, he's just, he was hanging out on New Frexia for a while, potentially. We don't know if he stayed there for long after the whole New Frexia Mirrodin thing happened. Where the Praetors took over and the battle happened. It's like, maybe he was just hanging out there the entire time. It's hard to tell. What colors is he going to be this time? I don't know. Probably blue something, because that's what he's always been. Yeah. Probably blue red. But is he... Well, here's know. the thing. We have a lot of options on where Tezzeret can go, actually. He yeah. could be blue-black again. He could yeah. be mono-blue again. He could be blue-red. He could be blue-green. He could be blue-black-green. He could be blue-red... Um, black he could be blue red green i would we love it know. if he was blue red black i would we don't know if he's still like fully committed to bolas if the phyraxians did something to him and he's committed to them maybe he's here because this is an artifact plan and it's easy for the phyraxians to take it over because of it mm. um we See, don't know if he's going to be like trying to defend and appraise the artifacts, which Green seems to do in this set a lot, or if he's going to be here to destroy them, which Red seems to do a lot. Mm -hmm. So does White, actually, in this set. White yeah. has some good, like, enchantment and artifact hate. It's like, he could be Esper if he's trying to be the villain as well. Oh, give it to me. So Give me that Esper. Oh, my God. So no, since you were talking Soltai. Give me Soltai for no reason. No reason at all. I'm not trying to build a Soltai deck. Not at all. Well, he could be that, though. Yeah. So since you were saying that, you know, he's... Pertain to Nicol Bolas. What, how, how do we know that he was... Because previous lore... Um, well, the card Tezzeret, Agent of Bolas. <laughs> First example. Yeah. <laughs> that's a, I, I guess that's That's, that's pretty enough. damning right there. Um, beyond that, so there's a book. And I have to get my hands on this book because I never got to read the whole thing. But um, reading chapter one of the Kaladesh actually reminded me of Liliana and Jace's Old Flame because it's brought up and mentioned in here. This book, Many times, yes. This book is where it's first brought up. Mm -hmm. um, where Jace and Liliana are working in Tezzeret's crime syndicate. And Liliana's concerned that her wanted posters may be up still whenever uh, Lavinia reaches out to the the Jacetus League. Yeah. Or the Gaith It's actually the Gatewatch, Gate but I'm going to call it the Jacetus League all the time. So... Lavinia reaches out to them for help because Raska's back and she's petrifying Azoria's Senate members. Mm. Oh, God. <laughs> like, this is all stuff from Chapter 1. Yeah. So, like, we know the Gideon's going off to help them. Jace is trying to catch up with back paperwork and other various things. And, you know, everybody else is basically running off. Yeah. So, set-wise, where does this take place? As time, Like, set to timeline. This takes place three months after Eldritch Moon. Okay. This is where this all starts. And we start getting our lore bits on Braska being back in town, Jay's catching up on paperwork. Um, okay, so this is see, before... This is now after hmm? regular Return to Ravnica. I where read we chapter saw one. Yes, yes, I don't think Braska already... was brought up yet. It was. It she was? was? Okay. Yeah, in chapter one, they mentioned that members of the Azoria Senate had ended up... Um, they were eliminated... And then Liliana goes, oh, so they weren't killed? Yeah. And Lavinia goes, no, they were petrified. I remember that part. I just don't remember the name being said, but that the, might be... It's enough clues. Jace oh, yeah. mentions that there was a Gorgon Planeswalker assassin 
there at okay, one so point. They, so I didn't intervene. miss that. They just didn't say the yeah, name. Yeah, the yeah they didn't say it was Vraska for okay. sure. Okay. But it's it's strongly implied that it is Vraska. Okay, okay, good. Because I didn't want to feel like we were doing this, and I actually missed bits. Well, it's believable. Because Glossy, I was falling asleep reading the second chapter. Because, like, I was laying in bed reading it. Don't ever do that when you're reading something dry. You will fall asleep. Oh, yeah. But like, this is stuff that I, I'm going to go home and I'm going to read more of this so I can pass out. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to lie, guys. I love lore. I really do. I like brushing up on it, knowing all the, like, random tidbits, like, you know, Tezzeret's crime syndicate, and that's how Liliana and Jace met. Jace was hired by Tezzeret as a bodyguard to stop Nicol Bolas from entering his mind and just, like, enslaving him and destroying him back then. And then Jace was like, nah, I don't really like you that much, and I made these plans with Liliana. So then he dropped the defenses on Bolas, on uh, Tezzeret's mind, and then, like, crumpled Tezzeret's mind, and then just left him behind, and Bolas was like, and I'm gonna take this like I was going to in the first place. Wow. And that's how we get Tezzeret Agent of Bolas. Okay, so should we go ahead and uh, try and summarize the uh, the current lore? So, I'm gonna let that to you, because like you said, you read all of it. I got through the first one. There were a lot of things I liked, but it takes a long time to find them. Like, okay. you yeah. do have to do a lot of reading to catch the good bits. Like, Liliana remarking the, the first day that they had all ended up there on Ravnica, because everybody's at Ravnica at the start of this. Mm -hmm. uh, it's their headquarters now for the, um, for the Gatewatch. The headquarters is there in Ravnica, in Jace's Sanctum. Yeah. And Liliana mentions to Chandra... You know, the first, it's hard to find Nissa in a room, and the first day they were there, <laughs> Nissa looked like death warmed over, and Chandra, like, gets ready to say something, and Liliana goes, and yes, I am the most likely to know what that looks like. Uh, no. Like, I've heard all the necromancer jokes, dear. Chandra actually lets uh, Liliana, sl uh, Liliana lets Chandra slide on one necromancy joke, too. I feel like that one's afterwards because I yeah. don't think I saw it yet. No, it was it was something to the effect of, I wouldn't let Gideon do something over, or Gideon wouldn't let you do something over his dead body, and even then you'd raise him just to force him to go shopping with you or some shit like that. <laughs> I can't quite remember what it was, but Liliana let Chandra have that one. Um, but yeah, we're going to go ahead and do quick summaries of them. I'm going to try to be quick here, because there's not really a lot of substance to these, so I should probably be able to go through, but chapter one was basically, as uh, Tyson had discussed, the Chastis League was getting together. Well, they put out word through Tamiyo as well. Yeah. Which is how they came across Dovin, how they got to this point. Well, you gotta say his name, because I don't remember it. Dovin Bon. Right, a Vidalkin member of the consulate from Kaladesh, saying that there were renegades that were threatening the safety of the fair. So that was what they wanted Jace's help with. Now, Chandra well, said They approached uh, to... Sort of, he misunderstood what the Gatewatch was supposed to be. Yeah. The Gatewatch is a group of planeswalkers that have joined together to stop other planeswalkers from fucking shit up. Mm-hmm. And to stop, you know, extra, <coughs> extra planar entities from interfering with things. See, you know, Emrakul, Kozilek, Ulamog, things like that nature happening. Um, Dove and Bond thought they were just like a group of planeswalkers that were for hire as bodyguards and stuff. Yeah. Which, which is why he approached them. Yeah. And basically he just asked them to go against a renegade that was threatening the fair. Now this got Chandra quite on fire for this whole idea. She didn't like this at all. So, was it after this that she went to Nyssa for, uh, 
for uh, basically a safe space to try and feel that feeling of peace again from whenever they mind melded or whatever the fuck that would have been afterwards because then Chandra Chandra got angry ran off and planes walked with Liliana to Kaladesh no that was so she got angry went over oh that's right they went to Gideon's weight room and was like hitting his punching bag and then she got really mad while she was just doing this because Chandra has a lot of emotions from you know being from Kaladesh that's her home Mm -hmm. so she's afraid that what happened to her is what's going to happen to like the people with this revolutionary group no, they're trying to take out some kid who was an inventor, somebody's parents, and that's what makes her, like, run off. Yeah, like, the basic idea here is that the consulate is trying to restrict the use of the Aether within Kaladesh. And it's just basically one of those things where they're creating a police state, where if things aren't done their way, they're not happy about it and thrown in the dungeon for, like, nothing. They discuss- they explore that more in Chapter 5, where an Etherborn was thrown in prison for, like, petty theft. He shouldn't have been in prison for that. It was his dying moments when he escaped. But we'll get into that when we get into Chapter 5. But uh, basically, Chapter 1 is just a misunderstanding. Chandra hears it, you know, goes off and, like, speaks to Liliana, and then they just decide to go to Kaladesh. Like, that's basically the short and skinny of the whole thing. And uh, and then the rest of Jastis League finds out that they did that. And uh, Jace can't go because of paperwork. Um, Gideon is off doing something else. I can't remember what the fuck that is. You already said it. Probably. He went to Ravnica. Yeah. No, they're no, all at yeah. Ravnica. Yeah. yeah. He's helping to investigate the petrified Senate members of the Azorius Senate members specifically. So because Nissa felt like she didn't do her part in acting carefully around a volatile Chandra, she feels kind of responsible for what happened. So, we assume she goes, but we don't find out until, like, Chapter 4 or some shit that she actually went with him, or Chapter 5 or something. Like, she just appears there at some point. But, do you think we covered Chapter 1 fair enough? Is there anything we missed there? I mean, that's the brunt of Chapter 1. Yeah. And then, uh... Oh, and Liliana refused to live in Jace's house. She has her own place. Hmm. Well, so did Chandra. At least she lives there, but she doesn't live there on her own. Oh, it was Liliana that said that? Yeah, Liliana's the only one that doesn't have a room in Jace's house. Okay. Everybody else does. Okay. So then we move on to Chapter 2. Starring Rashmi, which is apparently a card, and Matul. Two, uh, Matul's a Vidalkin, and Rashmi is whoever she is on her card. I don't remember. She's really strong on her card. Yes, Mm -hmm. but the thing is, that's just all covering how, uh... They want to put something into an Inventor's Fair. They literally put everything on the line for this Inventor's Fair. If they don't make it to this Inventor's Fair, they've lost it all. They've lost their way of life, homeless, all that shit. Their experiment continues to fail all over and over again. They're trying to create a transporter, basically, a matter transporter. They find that they cannot transport organic matter, but they can transport inorganic matter. The flower they were trying to transport always implodes. Mm-hmm. However, the vase that they tried to transport in it went across the room. That's some interesting shit, is it not? Oh my god. <laughs> anyway, so enter, uh, they, they finally get it to work whenever the vase transports. So they, they try to find a piece that they need, a filament. Mm-hmm. which they've run out of. And every shop has run out of because, hey, man, it's the Inventor's Fair. They have, like, an hour to submit this experiment because the fair's in full swing already. So, basically, they're shit out of luck whenever it comes to this sort of shit. Enter Sahili. 
who's like, oh, my God, I'll help you with anything you need. Because, like, really, this, this means a lot to me. You doing this, because you mean a lot to me and all this. And she says, oh, well, we've made this matter transporter. I have peered into the, what I write it, peered into the, peered into the path in the aether, you know? I've been able to see in between. And she freaks the fuck out. She's like, nah, no, never mind. Like, I said I was going to help you, but no, I'm not doing that. And she leaves. And she goes and she's like in this battle arena where she battles an artifact creature against... It's basically like Pokemon fighting, but with, you know, uh, constructs. Yeah. And, uh... As Wasn't she's there a movie about this? Real Steel, I think it was? Hugh Jackman? <laughs> Possibly. But anyway, as she's... I'm IMDB that quick. You talk. Go ahead. Go ahead. We need some... We need clarification on this. I don't care. If Hugh Jackman's involved, I want to know. It was. 2011. Man. Gonna Real marry steel. that man. Gonna marry that man. Anyway. Real steel with you, Jackman. Confirmed. <laughs> yes. So, fucking... Jesus, here we go. I lost my train of thought. I just derailed completely. We're just going completely. downhill fast. Sahili was in the robot battle arena fighting Hugh Jackman's construct. Right, Real yes, steel. yes. Fighting Hugh Jackman. Beat him brutally. Beat his robot brutally. Oh, fuck. And that then he was like... the movie, too. <laughs> Spoiler warning. No! Five years ago. We can't spoil a Hugh Jackman film. He'll come after us. I need to open this drink. <laughs> ginger, quick, fill it. Yeah, Ginger, talk a little I bit while I have a drink. about this. All I know is... Rash yeah, I know. I'm the only sucker who read this shit. Rashmi sucks at inventing things, and... No, her, no, 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 no. She pulls it off and scares the shit out of a really good artificer, apparently. All right, so she let's doesn't. It's the, her Valdalkin that does it. No. No, Basically. they both do it. Well, no, well, let's take a moment and talk about that for a second. If we're concerned about Rashmi... Look at her name on her card. She is Rashmi Eternity's Crafter. Mm-hmm. She, she was re responsible for this. Fuck you. Matul was just the fucking assistant <laughs> just, here. Just a quick question real quick. Where did the Eldrazi come from? The Blind Eternities. No, no. I'll, I'll get into ah, that. Don't worry. Ah. I'll get into that because I'm saving plenty of time at the end because the thing is they come Tim up in chapter one and two, but they don't in three through five. I'll bring it up later. Don't worry. I didn't miss it. I didn't miss it at all. I didn't miss the, like, two or three possible references to Aldrazi, because I will be fucking pissed if they show up in the next set, done with standard, already have legacy and modern deck built. I'll just take that time and build vintage. I don't care. Highlander. That, yeah, because I already have an EPH <laughs> deck, too, so I might as well just try every format. Popper, I'm coming, buddy. Because I'm done with standard. Done with standard Anyways. forever. So anyway, chapter two continues where Sahili runs into, like, a fan, like, the, a mother and daughter, they're both dwarves, and the daughter's, like, freaking out, like, oh my god, that's Sahili, and the mother's like, there's no way that's Sahili, because she's, like, she's, like, Oprah famous in this world. She's, like, nuts famous, like, crazy. So it's like, can I have your autograph? Can I have your autograph? And Sahili's like, fine. It's like, right next to your quote, right there, that says that you'll never hinder an inventor's whatever. I'm paraphrasing, obviously, but it basically says, I will not fear innovation if it can possibly better... Like, the, the... The greater good. The greater good, yeah. And she just did that. She's like, wow, way to slap me in the face with that shit. <laughs> so she goes back. She handcrafts this part that they need. She pulls some strings and gets them right to the fair, right to the judge where they need to be with this matter transporter. Now, the thing we were just talking about that had me pissed off was she had directly mentioned the blind eternities and the horrors that hide within. And in the first chapter... Chandra mentions, I'm so hungry I could eat an Eldrazi, which I'm like reeling. I'm like, oh, don't, ew, don't, no. It's even even like, one of the ooey gooey ones. Exactly. She even specifies that. It's like, that's gross. Like, 
What? What'd you do with that? Oh, oh, it was on the floor. How long was it on the floor? Like, don't eat it. That's how long. No, oh, fuck. Shit. Okay, whatever. Oh my god! But, you're on my popcorn. But it's the deep fried octopus. <laughs> yeah. Anyhow, so that's chapter two in a nutshell. Somebody makes a matter transporter that involves the blind eternities. Planeswalker gets super fucking scared, but then figures, fucking adjustment. Whatever. We'll do this. Chapter three. Um. Chapter 3 is pretty short, I think. Um, I don't remember a lot of details about this. This was uh, Liliana and Chandra getting up to uh, trouble in the Kaladesh one day. And uh, I really can't remember entirely what happens other than they just walk around and they see Chandra's mother. Oh. And Tezzeret. Oh, that's it. Tezzeret's a main point where he's just like stealing parts from people and fucking, <laughs> oh, I need that. It's like, excuse me. Excuse me, do you have any parts that I can get off you? Oh, no, I don't have any. Sensing, oh, there's a part in there. I'm gonna go and just, just conjures it away, steals it, checks it out. Like, yeah, this is the part I want, and that's fine. So basically, he's being a dick. But you don't know it's Tezzeret until it comes down to his hood came down. You saw white dreads and a big metal claw. Like, that's Tezzeret right there. <laughs> that right there is a Tezzeret. We're gonna have a Tezzeret next set. Tezzeret next set confirmed Half-Life 3. And this before, isn't a video game I mean, podcast. We had it art work. this set and didn't get shit for him except for like Tezzeret's ambition or whatever his card is. Mm. And before he's not even in the next set and he's in with Nickel Boss again. Yeah, it's possible. We don't know where what he's doing, what he's up to. But that's other than stealing pieces of artifacts. Mm -hmm. But that's basically chapter three. I mean, I can't really think of anything else that happened in that. But like I said, this was all bland, so I could be wrong. There could have been more substantial shit that happened. But anyway, they see Pia there, Chandra's mom. Oh shit, son! So it leads us into chapter four, which starts off with a. Sorry if I'm going through these really briefly. Like I said, it's really dry and boring, and I'm sparing you the shitty and details. And if you want any more details, you can just go read it. Yeah, yeah. There's that. There's that. Or you can spare yourself and listen to yeah, this. I'm Would you say number three leads us to our fateful showdown? I hate you. What? What's supposed to happen in the fateful showdown? Tonight at the grand exhibition, witness head judge Tazarep face off against the infamous renegade. Pianola! No, that would make things interesting. That doesn't happen yet, at least. No, this is actual flavor text on the Carb Faithful Showdown. Yeah. Well, yes, but and I referencing figure, what he's talking about. But I figure that happens later on, because that shit does not happen yet. That would be way too interesting for what we're dealing with here. <laughs> what actually happens is, it starts off with a nice little flashback where Pia is facing Balar, the, uh, the person who killed, supposedly, killed Kiran... Her husband and supposedly Chandra as well, but of course we all know Chandra planeswalked, is alive, but Karan is probably super dead, like super dead, like you know. I'm not even gonna make the same joke I made before, but anyway. Um, is he cadaverific? He is. You can't even get the Dragon Balls dead. Mm. There, I made it. You forced <laughs> it out of me. You both. forced my hand. His on name that. was Baral, right? Baral, yes. Okay, so he actually has flavor text on Insidious Will as well. Okay. Uh, we meet again, Pyromancer. Baral, Chief of Compliance. Yeah, that, that, we didn't really get to there either. See, the thing is, we know, well, I'm gonna save that. See, put a pin in that. We'll be, we'll be back on that in Chapter 5, because that's sort of mentioned, but not really. But in Chapter 4, it starts with a flashback where Pia is, you know, being pestered by Bilar. She finds out, finds out Bilar is also a mage who is one of the things that he is trying to destroy. So it's kind of strange that he, a mage himself, is after the mages of Kaladesh. Yeah, that's that's a thing. Huh. 
because mages are apparently dangerous in this world and regarded as dangerous. But, uh, yeah. So, flash forward to somehow Pia got out at some point or some shit. And now, Pia and Chandra have found each other. Pia is Renegade Prime. The very renegade that your homeboy Planeswalker guy, say his name for me again. Jovan Bond. Oh, I love it. I have complete control over him. But, uh, <laughs> it's like when I tell you to say our Gmail. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, so this is what it feels like. So... So this is the renegade that the Jastis League was supposed to go stop, was Chandra's mother. So obviously, if this would have happened this way, it wouldn't have been on. There have been some shit going down, but instead, nothing really happens. Pia makes a distraction. You know, they're reading her her rights, because Tezzeret and uh, Tyson's homeboy, whose name he just said, was there to collect her. Dovin Bond! Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, she's making a distraction, so they don't go after Chandra, Liliana, or Nyssa... Who just appears. That's probably going to happen later, because that hasn't happened yet either. The so, cathartic uh, reunion card has not happened yet. Me and Chandra haven't seen each other yet? They've seen each other, but they haven't actually, you Down know, embraced. Hug. Gotcha. They haven't actually had physical contact, because Chandra's in the crowd. Pia wants nobody to notice her there, so just turns herself in, basically. To the surprise of everyone, actually. It's like, oh, Renegade Prime's not such a tough bitch anyway. All right, we got this. Alright, everybody, who's up for a handy in the shower? But anyway, <laughs> as everybody raises their hands, because I imagine that's how uh, these consulate guards operate anyway. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, with Tezzeret involved, you want that metal claw away from you in the chain. But I should get back on track wow. here. <laughs> I thought way too much about this. Sorry, he's talking about all these cards and these happenings. I'm like, oh, I know the card that has the flavor text about that point. That's fine, that's fine. That means everybody else gets to chime in, unlike me last week. I don't get to chime in at all. I don't know what's going <laughs> the on. Ginger's no. just a stick in the mud tonight. Well then, actually, let's ask Gingy, as somebody who didn't read any of this and doesn't have any insight on what's going on, are you following so far what's going on in these stories? Uh, I know that the Jason League uh, was is on Ravnica. Yeah, okay. Um, What, Chandra, Nyssa, and... Jace has to stay back. Gideon's checking in on Azurius. And, well, it's just Nyssa and Chandra at this point. Liliana. Oh, Liliana comes in mm -hmm. to Kaladesh. Which, actually, the funny part is Nyssa shows up in Chapter 4. Just like shows up. I, but it takes a few paragraphs, because you're sitting there like, what the fuck is Nyssa doing there? When did that happen? <laughs> she wasn't in Chapter hey, 3. Hey, little mama, let me whisper in your ear. <laughs> <laughs> but... Done. <laughs> I'm all so aren't ladies and gentlemen. But anyway, Nissa just shows up in this fourth chapter, and it takes a little while for her to be like, you're lucky I found you, you're lucky I was able to follow you. It's like, uh, fucking about time you make your presence known, because you're just there. Like, they're just saying you're there. Like, who the fuck is this green person there? To oh, this is there now. Okay, hmm? sure. So, in all of their, all of their delica delicately plotted out detail and exposition, Let's just toss Nissa in there and explain it later. It'll be fine. We need Nissa to be there, but we forgot in the last chapter. So we'll just kind of we'll fiddle it in there. But anyway, yeah, so there's this big distraction made. And everybody's just like, wow, is that your mom's? Yeah, that's my mom's. But now she's gone. That's some shit. I don't really remember what else happens in that chapter. Other than that, I'm pretty sure that's it. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's now, it. Now, let's just say, what's that the dickhead that killed... Well, supposedly killed her parents. Bilar. Bilar. Let's just say, you know, he imprisoned her mom and dad instead of killing them both. And Pia got out and was trying to save her dad. No, her dad's super dead. 
Her dad's super dead. There's no really just say that <coughs> he's dead. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, somebody has to be dead. Otherwise, there's no fucking reason for Chandra to have planeswalked at all. It's also Baral, not Balar. Baral? Okay, yes. whatever. That's fine. Bar-Al. Chief of Compliance. No, it's Balar. Like, Chandra, Navar. No. Oh, that's probably where I got Navar and Balar. Yeah, Baral. Okay, either way, <laughs> these people need real names. So, Frank is the one that captured Frank. <laughs> and Petey Bob... <laughs> Is that Chandra's mom's name now, Petey Bob? No, that's going to be Dovin Bong, because you can never remember it. <laughs> Petey Bob. He needs two names. Well, I'm done with him now. There's nothing else. Well, fuck. Yeah, I have no other use for Petey Bob other than saying Petey Bob, because it's fun. I feel like we could have cashed in a lot more if we named him Petey Bob earlier. <laughs> I know. But anyway, so I'm pretty sure that's all that happens in Chapter 4. I can't remember anything too crazy. Ah, <laughs> um, uh, yes. Well, tell me about Chapter 5, my good man. Oh, Jesus. So, Chapter 5 follows the uh, the end days. Well, not exactly the end days. He's got 54 days to live of an Etherborn, which, as we find out, are incredibly empathic creatures, incredibly decadent creatures, who uh, love to experience life to the fullest, so they have tons of parties, and they basically live anywhere between four weeks to four years. All right, so here's a question real quick. Yeah. How do we know that he has 54 days to live? Like, do they he have says a, so. Do they have a countdown in their mind on how long they get to live? Essentially, because basically he watches his... They they they, they uh, refer to it as the... Oh, what's that fancy word for skin? Epidermis or something? Not, or dermis or something like that? They watch it fade away and turn to smoke as they go. Like, for example, he puts on a bracelet, an extra bracelet to cover the bit that smokes away. He can feel it on the back of his neck. Like, basically, as they're dying, so they, materi- kind of, yeah. they dematerialize as they age. So, essentially, basically, how much body do I have left? That's how long I have to go. Though they can also feed off of other people's life energy to feed the other cycle. Which is where they come from. They come from the life of the plane. They are basically electronic Zendikar. In fact, that's how Nyssa ends up relating to the Etherborn that she's speaking to. The one whose eyes we see through. Mm-hmm. She kind of She's all tense because of what's going on. But she lightens up with this guy because she feels like he is the ex- extension of Kaladesh like she is the extension of Zendikar. That's actually kind of cool. So she relates to him on that level that he is the electric version, the natural electricity that flows through Kaladesh. Like, she is literally feeling the nature that flows through Zendikar. So they are just two peas in the pod like that, okay? And also, he's incredibly empathic, so he knows how to make her feel relaxed. He knows the things to say. He knows everybody's needs around him. Throughout this entire story, he's directing people to the bathroom, handing people handkerchiefs whenever he feels like they need them, and just knows exactly what to say to who to calm them down. But he doesn't want to overexert himself, because if he does, if he, like, bolts and runs or jumps around and shit, he will lower his lifespan. And the idea of him being able to drain life from others is explored, but he's never done it. He never desires to. He just feels like he's going to party big. Just have this huge... uh, (coughs) They call it the penultimate party when they're about to die. They die in front of everyone. And some... They're actually those that don't live decadent enough lives that they just, whenever they're having their penultimate party, they crash other people's parties and say, this is my penultimate party now. (laughs) Which is something that happened. There was like a... Somebody that he described as a loser coming in and is dying and all his mates just kind of bring him in. They're like, this is my penultimate party. And he tells Nyssa, he's like, well, whenever we die, we want to have a huge party and party it up and, you know, be around uh, our like, the likes of us, you know. So, unfortunately, he's a loser, but he's welcome here. Hmm. 
because oh. they have a great understanding of each other and their their physiology and things of that nature. So basically, he's your party boy, kind of a twat, but you know he has he has those moments because he's like dishing on people's style senses. He's basically your 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 socialite, your high class socialite, essentially. So he'd fit right in on Innistrad, actually. But probably why Liliana like him so much. Mm-hmm. But he hits it off real well with Nissa. He finds a real attraction to Nissa, a very, uh, very big connection, obviously, because of what we talked about before with the. <laughs> Would you say there's a certain electricity? Spark oh, shut your between mouth. Between them? <laughs> Get it? Get it? Planeswalker sparks, them being yeah, electric? Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Shit. He's gonna be a planeswalker. That'd be actually cool. Oh, what's his name? I don't remember his Illuminati name. Illuminati confirmed. I can't remember his name offhand, but. If there's a card, I'd be all about it. There might already be a card, for all I know, but I don't remember his name. Um, Gonti? Huh? Is it Gonti? I don't believe so. Okay. I don't know. I, I really don't remember. You could tell me what it is, and I wouldn't know. Wow. So, like, it's mentioned a few times. People do speak to him. It's just not something that jumps out at me at this moment, because there are a lot of weird names. But, yeah. basically what happens in this chapter is... Uh, the uh, the Powerpuff Girls, who I'm going to use to describe Chandra, Nissa, and Liliana at this point, show up at his party because of somebody they ran into after Pia was kidnapped. Uh, Miss Mrs. Pashini or something like that. Pashani, I don't fucking know. She's a card. She's a legend. She's a green one drop legendary. Oh uh, uh, yeah, art, human artificer with like a, a two and a green ability and a four and a green ability. But the uh, either one that you're talking about's name is Yahini. There we go. Okay, but basically they come there for just just to lay low. Well, at any rate, a consulate still shows up and wants someone that's locked himself into the bathroom. It's like there's a there's a criminal in there. Do you want to be taken away on a noise ordinance? No, no, I don't. Then you're gonna let that person out and be brought in for justice. And this is like no, fuck that. Grabs him by the ankles with her, you know, her plant powers. Like, some plant just randomly comes up, grabs the guy by the ankle. And our other born buddy's like, I don't even want to think about how that just worked. But it's happening, so, okay, that's fine. <laughs> he literally says that. I'm not even making that up. He's like, I don't want to think about the logistics of this, but it's happening right now. So, Nissa grabs a hold of him, and he's like, he's hurting. Because he was, like, yanked up by his leg, by his ankle, and then knocked on the ground. So, the other born... Sensing Chandra and sensing Nissa and Liliana and all this and goes, So, uh, you've captured Pia, right? And he just grunts and he goes, And they're at this prison? And he grunts again because, you know, mm. he's, he's basically ask, answering his own questions. He just needs affirmation from this half comatose guard. And then he goes, So, uh, that's the place where uh, Baral is, right? Another grunt. So there, Baral's got Pia again. Shit. I so, his name was Frank now. Frank, yeah, Frank. God damn it, Frank. Jesus, can't count on <laughs> Frank for anything. And that's that's what we glean from that. And then Chandra melts the lock, and then they all disappear. And Duder opens the bathroom door to find an Etherborn dying. For and he was in jail for petty theft. No reason to be in prison like that. No reason to be sought after for so long. Basically, just showing that the consulate are really bad dudes. That are locking people up for no goddamn good reason. And they're just stretching their power on anyone. And, uh... It dies in a fantastic show of light as it just completely dematerializes. 
and our protagonist of this story just collects all of his jewelry, puts it on, and goes on with the party, and is very boisterous and saying, I expect to see you all next month for my penultimate party. <laughs> and that's that. So that's what we have so far in the lore, gentlemen. It's like, hey guys, I'm gonna die next month. Come back, have fun. Are you all decided to get glipped by this... Glipped, I mean gripped. What? I tried to put a roll on the grip. I have so much gripped. trouble rolling. Yeah, there I have so much trouble rolling my R's. I try very hard. But are you very gripped by these stories? No. Huh? No? No? Well, no. they seem like they're, uh, I'm sure that it's going to start getting better as we're getting to set to an Aether Revolt and the Revolution's going to come along, but... Aether Revolt? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, the uh, beginning's oh. kind of meh. Um, it does pose the question of, so these Aetherborn are able to basically sap life energy off of things to extend their own life? Yep. Yes. Our protagonist from that story was actually considering it. After Dark, that guard that was COVID host out in the uh, courtyard, mm -hmm. he was considering, you know, I could do that, but no, no, that lacks class. This consulate, this consulate, however, hundreds. And before that's what the Aetherbolt So that's actually about. something I forgot to mention, along with the Ether is basically the life force of... Uh, Kaladesh, obviously, which means the cycle is basically the Ether comes to life, and then the Ether dissipates back into the Aether. And it just continues this cycle, and that's how it's regarded as, an, as a cycle of the lands. So I'm sure that we actually... This does open up a bunch of potential questions for that I hope will get answered in future lore bits. Yes. So we have the Aether Flux, which is like the harnessed Aether. Can the Aetherborn utilize that somehow, and is that why the consulate has such tight control over it? Because if these guys are happy to just, like, party it up, then they're no real threat. But if they can have longer lives, they can, you know, do things, change the world, become a real threat to the law and order that they've established. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, so that question gets posed. Another question gets posed of what would happen if one of them somehow took a... had absorbed a Planeswalker's essence... Which is not like we don't have enough planeswalkers here to wonder about it. Yeah. Um, An Etherborn planeswalker. I mean, it sounds cool. Mm-hmm. Eldrazi planeswalker. Shut your fucking mouth! If like I said, if Eldrazi show up again, I'm done. Usually we it's just supposed to be Tyson that gets mad about that, but now I'm getting mad about that because <laughs> I'm sick I, of them. I specifically get mad about Eldrazi planeswalkers because of my knowledge of lore. Because according to wizards and their lore, it cannot exist. Eldrazi planeswalkers do not exist. Eldrazi can planeswalk, but there will never be an Eldrazi planeswalker. I think I just triggered both of them. Yeah, yeah, you did. Good job. Because I'm <laughs> sick of them, and Tyson's just like, the lore states. And I'm just like, I don't care what the lore states. I don't want to see them again. Like, maybe in, like, ten years' time, the scars will go away, and it'll be like, okay, we can have Eldrazi again for a little while. Nicobolas controls the Eldrazi. Shut your mouth! Uh, that's actually a feasible thing. No! <laughs> God damn it! Stop! So, this is why I'm really excited for next set, actually. Bolas is hands down my favorite planeswalker. Alright, I'm not gonna pretend otherwise. He wants to basically ascend to the godhood that he once had before the planeswalker spark changed. And he is what started all of this stuff to unleash the Eldrazi in the first place. He basically manipulated everybody into doing this so he could free the Eldrazi, observe the Eldrazi, and see like how they got the power and all that shit. Right. Um, beyond that, he has his own entire plane that he basically has control of. 
He's the person that started all of the stuff in the Alara block and basically made the shards reconverge and caused the the uh, conflux in the Alara Reborn sets to happen. Interesting. <laughs> so, like, Bolas actually has a ton of power, and he's basically just looking for more and more ways to become stronger and the next biggest best thing so that he can become the next biggest best thing. Right. So, he actually has a lot to do with what happened with the Eldrazi, and I would be unsurprised if he was, like, somewhere watching throughout all of these Eldrazi escapades. Because we haven't had any real interaction with Bola since... He killed Ugin? <sighs> no, because Ugin's alive again now. Redcon! Well, time travel storyline. Yeah, still... I mean, Sarkin time-traveled. Ugin's yeah. alive. Okay. Oh, there's another ugin Nicobolas fight on... Well, there could very well be... There I'll, could be. I'd I'll, be hyped for that, actually. New Ugin card. Ancient like, Dragons all, Warring? Yes, please. Because he's all about the new Nicobolas card, which I will probably will be too, and I'll be all about the new Ugin card. If there is one. If we I, even know that he's coming back. I would, really, I would really like that to happen. Ugin fights the Eldrazi. Ugin does, in fact, fight the Eldrazi. I want Ugin back, but I swear to God, if the Eldrazi are involved, it'll be another bittersweet thing. Because I'll be like, I want to play because of Ugin... I don't give a shit because Eldrazi, you're stupid. So, you know something that might actually happen? And this is just like me going off on a random lore tangent that's unrelated to this set, but links us from Shadows into the next set. If Bolas tracks down Nahiri because of her interactions with the Eldrazi and having like mm -hmm. controlled Emrakul, so to speak, so he's tracking her down and ends up her being on Bolas's plane. Where he's like interrogating her to figure out how she did this. Mm. This is something that could link us from Eldritch Moon to that set. Yeah. Well, we'll just only time will tell. Right. Yeah. Do we have any more to say on this before we want to get into our brew uh, escapade here? Yeah. I mean, let's go into this failed attempt at a deck. Okay. So, super fan Travis, as we read his email before, asked us to build a mono green budget brew. Or standard around Sage of the Ancient Lore. And guess what? We can't do it. We've tried. We tried waxing philosophical. I've been working on this for the last couple days. We kept throwing out card ideas, and they were bad. Yeah, like, the problem is Sage of Ancient Lore revolves around having cards in your hand. And green decks, specifically mono green decks, just don't do that well. No, because there's very few possibilities of drawing cards. Now, with that being said, if we had the ability to flex into blue-green, where we could have played something like... I remember we talked about this briefly. Yeah, we said... We would have been able to play take inventory yep. to refill our hand to make this thing bigger towards the mid-to-late game. Anticipate, which does walk Anticipate doesn't really get us cards. It keeps us on parity. Yeah. Um, I wanted to look at Rashmi. Rashmi's like $4 or something right now. Right. And on pre-orders and stuff. So it's a relatively budget card. Yeah. But its ability fits into a deck like this. Reveal the top card of your library. It, well, when whenever you cast, you cast a, spell. a spell, reveal the top card of your library. Whenever you cast your first spell this turn, specifically, reveal the top card of your library. If its mana cost is less than the spell that you just cast, you may take that card and uh, you may cast that spell without paying its mana cost. Otherwise, put it into your hand. So this is a good way to refuel our hand, especially if we're casting take inventories with Rashmi on the field when we have our Sage of the Ancient Hours. Because huh? then we're probably not flipping over whatever we're casting because take inventories too. So now we're drawing two cards off the base for that Yeah. to make our Sage of the Ancient Hours bigger. And even stuff like 
take inventory with Green uh, having access to man or not take inventory man- or over the pages with mm-hmm. uh, Green having access to mana dorks. We play that early enough. We use our mana dork mana as well as our lands, which we're going to use two or three and get two of them back anyway. And also, you can play like Glimmer of Genius to draw two cards, describe two, draw two, and get. See, I, I feel like we're going too deep on the blue plan here. Yeah, because like we're just naming a bunch of draw spells now, and I think that's what we want to avoid if we revisit this idea. If we get to revisit this group with green blue, we want to keep it more on the creature side and the green side, mm-hmm. but we want to pick up some of the good blue cards along the way. Like yeah. take inventory is good. Rashmi is good. Um, as much as it's going to annoy Tim. Wretched Griff fits into this type of deck. Wretched yeah, Griff. Wretched Griff is one of the emerge Aldrazi's. See, I don't. But whenever you cast it, you draw a card. So we were talking about playing Filigree Familiar in the original list because when it dies, you draw a card. Yeah. So now, alongside Rashmi and Filigree Familiar, we we're have an emerging mm-hmm. with Filigree Familiar. Familiar. I actually to draw like a card that. to get a draw a card on the cast trigger to flip a card off the Wretched Griff. I actually yeah. like those, and I was considering that because I'm I'm gonna say this, and I'm gonna sound like a massive douche, but I want to build a Saltide deck, and whenever I used to build the Saltide decks, my high drop to work up to where the game was basically over was Ugin. Now, the only card I could think of to do this with is Emrakul, which uh, the, 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 the Griff you're talking about is a blue-green emerge, right? No, it's just blue. blue. There is a blue-green blue one, yeah. too, that's really good. Oh, though. the Elder Deep Fiend is that one, right? No, the no, Elder, Elder Deep Fiend is just two. blue. Um, Weed Lurker is the blue-green okay. one. But yeah, like I am all about the emerge because basically you play mana dorks to get somewhere and then get rid of that shit, throw down these emerge cards, and that's how you continue on. Like I, I don't really mind Eldritch Moon's Eldrazi. It's just the Eldrazi I had a problem with were from Zendikar and Oath of the Gatewatch specifically because there were just way too many. They were way too powerful. There was way too much going on. I feel like they really brought it back and made it more reasonable. Because, like, yeah, Emrakul's really strong and really good, and we're eating our words on that one because we didn't really see how that would happen. But it did. But that's reasonable, at least. I thought it was going to be standard playable. I didn't realize how good it was going to be in standard. Yeah. Like, I feel like the the Emerge cards is a really... Emerge is a really fun mechanic. Because, Mm -hmm. you know, you get your ETB effects, and then you leave the battlefield effects with new ETB effects from your Emerge cards. I really like that. They're new cast effects. Yeah. Oh, right, 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 yeah. Because they're all You get to recycle your stuff. Yeah. Well, you get to upcycle your stuff. Right, Right. and that's where Filigree Familiar fits into this type of deck if we're going to revisit this Sage of the Ancient lore thing later. Yeah. Like, it just fits into that. Because we can go Filigree Familiar into Rashmi, into Sage of the Ancient lore, flip something off of Rashmi potentially, or get a card to our hand, which makes our Sage of the Ancient lore better, because now we've got another card in hand, so it replaced itself, or it casts another spell for free. And then next turn, we can do... The Wretched Griff on the Filigree Familiar getting the trigger from the Rashmi, mm-hmm. which will get us two more cards for our Sage of the Ancient lore, yep. plus a potential free card off the top, whether it be cast and go onto the battlefield, or whether it just comes to our hand, because it's less mana than seven, which is doubtful. Yeah, yeah. because there's, there's a lot of things that really don't work together that you'd kind of need one or the other of for Sage of the Ancient lore. For example... Because um, basically whenever you play it, it dies because it's a high drop. You're generally not going to have that many cards in your hand when you get there. So it's like something where you'll need like Halpack Resurgence, but there's not enough werewolves in just green to really support that. Other than like Duskwatch Recruiter, maybe Kessick Prowler is good enough. And then like, and then you're kind of out of options there unless you run Lambhold Pacifist and just kind of pray that you will get that Halpack Resurgence so the Lambhold Pacifist can attack off itself. But... 
that's not really a big thing because then we have the idea where okay let's go with the delirium package where we run the vessels and the traverses and the things that get you know lands to our hand to make sure we're going and then if we have delirium we can just get those creatures out of our deck the werewolves to build a line or whatever we're using like a gnarl would draw it like if, if we go mono green there's just too many ways you have to go to try and make it work but no one way works in that specific color like, they all yeah. feel lackluster. They all feel like they don't really pan out. Yeah, they all feel like they're trying to look at a different color for the answer. Yes, right. they're, they're all looking, missing something. Right, which is why I keep coming back to blue-green. Like, the Rashmi, the filigree familiars, yeah. the emerging your wretched griffs. Yeah. All of these things synergize with Sage of the Ancient Lore, and I think if he has a home, it's going to be in that type of deck. So yeah, if not... we revisit this later and it doesn't have to be mono-green, I would be more than happy to, like, go down this blue-green path and... Go over these cards because again, Dustwatch Recruiter is like the only thing we really have to keep our hand size up, and that's spending three mana and hoping it lives. And the only thing that really and hoping it hits something. The only yeah, thing and really, we have to make sure it hits a creature. The only thing that really makes this deck really work in mono green and it blows the budget out the water is having Oath of Nisses so we can put Arlen Cord in here. Even then, I don't feel like that really helps the deck much. It's not, but it's just another one of those toolbox things that feels like it needs more support where we might as well go straight gruel, but we can't because that's not that's the restriction. Because then, you know, you get Gaia Reach Bandit. Well, we also looked at the, uh, the, the plus one, plus one counter route. Too. Yeah, the plus one, plus one counter route. Just, it, um, it seems interesting. It doesn't seem as good because, like, your things get bigger... Uh, yeah, the only problem is that doesn't center around Sage of Ancient Lore. Right, that, just centers, that centers around, around itself, and then uh -huh. Sage of Ancient Lores is just thrown in. It, yeah, 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 just in there, because it's in there. So really, there's no good way... Sorry, Superfan Travis, but there's no good way to do this. Um, also, on green. that note... No. Also, on that note, if we were to do red-green trying to do Sage of Ancient Lores, I feel like we'd be doing it wrong. Mm -hmm. um, the example being... When I built my prototype deck, it was red-green because it's really good at emptying its hand. Yeah. Yes, because basically you don't get more cards in hand. You break even most of the time with that. Yeah. Yeah, you're just... You're playing a spell you're, and pitching a card to draw two, or playing a spell and pitching two to draw three. You're always breaking even. You're just selecting yes. what cards you have in your hand. Mm -hmm. Which you don't want selection in this. You just want a bunch of cards. Yes. Yeah, you want a handful of cards. You want the ability to keep that handful of cards. And you want to be able to play threats and make sure that you're pressuring the board so your Sage of the Ancient Hour or Sage of Ancient Lore can actually do stuff and be a threat. Yeah. So, what do we feel about. Well, green black has card draw, so green black also has potential for this. Mm -hmm. I mean, green black, we can play like. What is it? Live fast? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Live fast is the one that draw two? Yeah, yeah. lose two, draw two, gain <laughs> two energy. Yeah, like live fast can draw some cards to get you there. Um, we did visit the idea of playing Wildest Dreams to buy back cards from the graveyard and playing um, also, Seasons Pass to get cards. Things like Macabre Waltz as well. Is that the one where you bring some from the graveyard and draw a card, or is that a different one? I can't remember, honestly. But there are ones where you bring the creatures. Waltz is, I think you bring two creatures from your graveyard back but, to yeah. your hand. Like that, that gives you more things to your hand as well, so that would kind of work. But you're, you're using your graveyard as a resource instead of your yeah. library. Yeah, at the end of the day, it just feels like the mono green one is way too restrictive. Even looking at Wildest Dreams and Seasons Past, 
because those decks also had ways to like interact with the board and then Sage of the Ancient Hours would have been a good threat or Sage of the Ancient Lore would have been a good <laughs> we're thinking, threat. We're thinking Scrub EDH right now. Sorry about that. Yeah, Sage of Ancient Lore would have been a good <laughs> threat for that type of deck because if they kill it, you can just Seasons Past it back or Wildest Dreams it back with a couple other cards and now you've got a full hand for whenever you play your Sage of Ancient, Ancient Lore again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Are we going to stop talking about Sage of Ancient Lore so Tyson can stop bringing up that EDH deck? Yeah. Yeah, I keep wanting to say ours because there was an EDH game today. Oh, it was today? Yeah. Did that happen today? Uh, somebody actually stole that combo from him. <laughs> Great. Anyway. Good, so now we got two of those floating around. No, like, his deck no, he... was blue-black and he went, Control Magic Azuri. <laughs> Hit you, see your hand, take your Sage of Ancient Hours from your hand. <laughs> and now I have your combo. Of, it's just Sage of Hours, isn't yeah, it? But whatever. It's not Sage of Ancient Hours. Anyway. Yeah. Whatever. Either way, he stole, he literally stole the combo from him with spells. <laughs> and by right. playing spells. Serves him right. Anyway, so are we done with talking about this? Yeah, so. This abomination? Anyhow, I would like to revisit visit Sage of Ancient Lore if he's not mono green. But I, I honestly feel at the end of the day, the mono green's too restrictive. Well, we don't have anything to help us get to a point where he's threatening. If we do get to a point where he's threatening in a mono green deck, we've played all of our cards in hand, so he's probably going to die to state-based actions because he's a 0-0 when he enters, or at best a 1-1. Yeah. It's like, he just doesn't get there on his own. Well, he needs he a color to support him. Yeah, whenever he cards? enters, he draws a card. Yeah. I thought it was whenever your opponent casts a spell in your turn, he draws No, he draws card. a card when he enters. Oh, well, right, and then he dies because the ability's on the stack and he's a 0-0 zero, yes. zero when he enters. Yeah. Uh, Sage of Ancient Lore's power and toughness are each equal to the number of cards in your hand. When Sage of Ancient Lore enters the battlefield, draw a card. At the beginning of the jump keep, if no blah blah blah, the werewolf clause from Innistrad. Vigilance, Trample, Werewolf, if of Ancient Hunger's power and toughness are each equal to the total number of cards in all players' hands, and other werewolf claws. So, not really that great. Yeah. But Tyson was saying something cute about the interaction with him and his uh, Enter the Battlefield ability. Yeah. Yeah, like when he enters, he's a 0 0, his trigger goes on the deck. Yeah, it stays right here. State-based actions will destroy him, and then you'll draw a card. Yeah. So you cycle up. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, five-mana cantrip. Yeah, Five-mana draw a card. Sure. That's awful. Anyways. But hey, we already explored that Green doesn't have too much of that, so there you go. Yeah. Again, Uh, if we don't have the mono-green restriction, I'm way more willing to revisit this. But at mono-green, I think it's just botched. Though, however, we did receive an email from Superman... Superman Superman Travis. Travis. Yeah, that works, too. That works, too. I like the guy. Yeah, Superfan Travis uh, sent us another another email, actually, directly addressing the problems we're having now. (laughs) First, I would like to apologize for my last brew request. Request, request. I may have... I can't (laughs) sight read. I may have been a bit overzealous. Yeah, think. <laughs> something, some. I can't do the emperor voice. You nope. can do the emperor voice here. Something, something, something dark side. Okay, whatever. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's our best emperor voice. We had to come together for that one. Because it says here in parentheses, please say in best emperor voice. Something, something so anyway, dark side. Anyway, what do you guys feel will be the next wild card deck to enter standard? For example, the UB zombie deck that popped up to try to combat the company decks. So what do you got for us? What do you think the next wild card deck's going to be? Alright, so we're on the spot with the next wild card deck. Um, dubious Challenge. And what is Dubious no. Challenge? <laughs> what is Dubious Challenge? <laughs> no. Dubious Challenge is awful. It'll never be an deck. What is, what I is hope. it? You said it. Oh you have my to... god. It's, it's three to green sorcery. Look at the top. 
10. I Six think. cards, 10 cards of your library? We're the top 10 cards of your library. Exile up to two creature cards from among them, then shuffle your library. Target opponent may choose one of the exiled cards and put it onto the battlefield under his or her control. Put the rest under the into the battlefield under your control. <laughs> so, on a legitimate note, um, Blue Black Zombies is mentioned on here, right? Yes. As, like, being the most recent big breakout deck. Yeah. Um, that deck got a really, really good support card in yeah. Scrap Heap Scrounger, Scrounger or Scrapyard Scrounger. Scrap Heap Scrounger, yes. I played it in limited to great effect, yes. That yeah. makes Prized Amalgam even better. Yes, and yeah. that's exactly, as soon as I read this card, that was the first thing I did. I went... This is busted. This breaks prized amalgam and standard. Because you can do that at in instant speed, can't yep. you? Yeah. Yep. So uh, when your opponent passes priority during second main phase, if you're the person playing this deck, uh, they're, they're going to go like, all right, end of my turn. You go, when you pass priority during second main phase and you stop them, you go activate Scrap Heap Scrounger and then you do its effect. That way, that they stepped. Yeah. That so. The thing is, they have a round of priority, so they can cast sorceries at this point, so they can, like, potentially cast Radiant Flames or something like that to kill this thing. But you're still getting your 3-3 Prized Amalgam back from it anyhow, because Prized Amalgam's trigger is at the beginning of the next end step. So mm -hmm. you want to stop your opponent during mm -hmm. the... when they pass priority during second main phase, when they go to move to end step. Oh my god, I want to play Zombie Delirium so bad. I, so, I might end up going from Sultai... Actually, no, Sultai might still work as a zombie deck. So, Sultai well, that's zombies. the thing. I think yeah. Sultai Zombies is going to be potentially really good moving forward. I think I want to play It's not that. going to be a budget build by any means. Oh, no, 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 no. But no, no, you no. get to play... I don't care. I know, but I'm just saying, because Travis likes to keep asking us for a bunch of budget brews. Actually, you'll be surprised for the brew he requests this time. But anyway, continue. Um, Sultai Zombies has a lot of potential moving forward. Because we can go, like, Grim Flare into Scrap Heap Scrounger. Hang on, let me write this down. Oh I'm kidding. Gosh. You can. I'll, I'll type it as you speak it. Just keep going. All right. So Grimfleer, Scrap Heap Scrounger, Prized Amalgam are all really good cards in this deck. Liliana slots into this deck really well as it did mm, you before. You had to say that, didn't you? God yeah. Did. Liliana well, yeah, was already know, in the deck. It's really good. I know. I gotta um, get. I gotta get like two Liliana. I gotta bite the bullet on that one. Crit Breaker puts you on curve with a one drop. Okay. And since you have the black green fast land and the blue green fast land, you actually get to cast your spells on curve when you're playing all of those. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, you have Hissing Quagmire or Lumbering Fall as a late game choice. Yeah. Your decision on that one. Mm -hmm. And if you want to just like play Salt High Good Stuff, you can also play Sylvan Advocates. And I'd say Kalitas and uh, Kalitas and Ishkana work in this very well as well. Uh, Kalitas works very well. I'm not sold on Ishkana because I don't know how well you'll hit Delirium. The Scrounger helps a lot with hitting it, but yeah. I can't say it'll do it by itself enough. Um, the other thing is you also get to play all the good removal in the format. Mm -hmm. You get to play, because you're zombies, you get to play unco uh, uh, one in a blue compelling deterrence. One in a blue instant return target permanent, or tar I think it's target non-land permanent, to your opponent's hand. If you control a zombie, they discard a card. Yeah, it sounds familiar. I don't know if that's the name of the card. Hold on, I'll tell you in a second here. Yeah, this is, is dual decks, blessed versus cursed. It is. Yep. So return uh, target non-land permanent to its own its control. Yeah, its owner's hand. Then that player discards a card if you control a zombie. Oh, I love it. So that slots into a zombie deck really well. It makes yes, a really big tempo swing. Mm -hmm. um, alongside that, you also again get to play Grasp of Darkness, which oh, is like yeah. the best removal spell in the format. I'll live fast and work in this. Uh, you can also play that to draw cards, or you can play take inventory depending on the flavor of draw card you want. I'll have to test. I'll I mean, if you're test. playing Grim Flare, you can play the. Um, 
to take inventories to put inventories in your graveyard so you get your other ones bigger. Yeah, well, that's the other thing is Grim Flayer helps you set up putting your amalgams into your yard and your scrappy your, uh, scrapyard scroungers into the yard. Okay. And then you have value later because you throw other creatures in there to buy back with your scrapyard scrounger. So take inventory is definitely the way to go because they get bigger earlier because you're just pitching them into your yard anyway. There's potential for it, yes. Okay. And Kalitas works with this kind of deck as well because you can sack up, a, sack up other zombies that are being pegged for spot removal. And to get make, zombies back. Well, to make him bigger. You won't yeah, get yeah. zombies back yet, but you can get zombies back in the future. Okay. Um, also of note is Dark Salvation is deceptively good in oh, the zombie yeah. decks. Yeah, 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 it is. That card is really good. Dark Salvation is black XX. It's a rare. Mm -hmm. uh, target creature gets minus X, minus X until end of turn, and... That no, 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 no. Oh, That creature controller gets X zombies. I have it right here. Target player puts X22 black zombie creature tokens onto the battlefield. Then up to one target creature gets minus one, minus one until end of turn for each zombie that player controls. So basically, if you're already playing out zombies, and then you cast this to get more zombies, it counts all your zombies, not just the ones you made. Well, you can also cast it for just black to give something minus X minus X where the number where X is the number of zombies you already have. Yes, which gets around indestructible if you have enough. Also, obvious haunted dead in this deck because the ability to recur another zombie. Between that and Scrapyard Scrounger, you'll have plenty of ways to just buy back stuff to get your prize amalgams back. Okay. Anyways, I want to go back to Newbie's Challenge for a second. If nothing was an instant, I could see it being playable. If it was an instant, it might be playable, but... Emrakul, control your opponent's turn, cast it on their turn. Is it cast triggers, or do they just put them onto the battlefield? What, that one? Dubious challenge. Uh, no, I'm saying, like, you Emrakul them, taking their next turn, and then you cast oh, this thing yeah. on their turn. Yeah, and I mean, then you just fair. get two things. Yeah, that'd be sweet. But it's not an instant. Or human no. brain in the jar. <laughs> <laughs> you could do that, Ginger. So I think, uh... I think Zombies has a lot of potential if it moves into Saltai. Um, it's not a breakout deck per se, but it's a good deck. Anyways, I think I have one. I, um, I just want to see. I just want to see somebody build. This is a challenge for our listeners for once. I want to see somebody build a Brain in the j Deck jar built around jar Sorcerer. Deck. Yeah, Brain in the Jar deck. Dubious challenging Emrakul people? No, 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 no. Hold on, hold on, hold on. That's built around sorceries that would be absolutely apeshit if they were instants. That'd be sweet. So just build a deck centered around that idea and send it into us, and we'll read about it on. We'll read it up on the show. Um, with that being said, I want to go over since we're talking about breakout decks of the format. Okay. Um, I think a control deck is very well positioned, positioned moving forward here because I've been testing out with Jessica I control myself. Mm -hmm. um, we have Revolutionary Rebuff, which is finally, while being awful. A mana leak-like effect. It's a two-mana counterspell that's an actual catch-all, except for artifacts. Yes. So that's something Control's been missing for a long time. Uh, in Jeskai, I can curve that into a Radiant Flames, into Nahiri, into Fumigate if I have to. Mm -hmm. uh, we also have Scry 2, Draw 2 at instant speed now at four mana. Yeah. And Torrential Gear Hulk is deceptively powerful. Pretty there have sweet. been games where I have, like, because I'm playing Nahiri. So I'll Nahiri Ultimate out Torrential Gear Hulk. Yeah. To get um to get a glimmer of genius, which is the Scry 2 draw two get two energy. Yeah. Battle with it and then return it to my hand, so now I can flash it out as a counter spell. Yeah, it's uh so like Torrential Gear Hulk actually opens up a lot of uh lines of play for blue based control decks. So I wouldn't be surprised if we actually get like a draw go style control deck here in the future. Yeah. And Bomac Courier, I think, gives Red Deck a potentially 
truly viable deck because now we have a 1-1 with haste for one. Yes, Relentless Dead obviously goes into the Salt High Zombie deck. Okay, good, thanks. I just thought well, of that card. Anyways, one that I'm thinking of is like a Red White Vehicles deck with the new Dwarf oh! Pilot. Uh-huh. So, I will say Looter Scooter. As, uh, <laughs> we've so far Looter Scooter. Smuggler's Copter. I don't know what that thing does. Smuggler's Copter is a two-mana artifact vehicle. It ha When it's crewed, it has flying, and it's a 3-3. Three, three. Its crew is one. Okay. Okay. Whenever Smuggler's Copter attacks or blocks, discard a card from your hand, draw a card. Thing's sweet. Pretty sweet, that yeah. That thing is really, really strong. Mm -hmm. um, it, so it's a two-mana 3-3 three, three that has evasion that fixes your hands. Red decks and, you know, aggressive the, the type decks white. are going to love this thing. Yes. I think Red White is going to be one of our big breakout decks, especially considering that we have Built to Last and Built to Smash as combat tricks. Mm -hmm. um, Built to Smash gives target attacking creature plus three plus three and trample. So now we've got a six six fire with trample that's going to dodge most removal. Or if it's if somebody's like trying to tempo us out of the game by making us by destroying it during combat, we can build to last it, which gives it plus two plus two and indestructible. I think this deck looks sweet. Damn. I'm not gonna lie. So like there's an aggressive red white artifact vehicles type of deck yeah. where you can play um, you can so, play Bowmat Couriers alongside our new 1-1 one, one dwarf that gets plus 2, plus 1 if you have an artifact. Mm -hmm. And then it so gets you can like, more, it gets first strike. Yeah. So you can play the dwarf on turn 1, follow it up with a Bowmat Courier, because we have the red-white fast land as well. Yeah. So you just, like, red-white fast land, play 1, play the Bowmat Courier, swing for 4 on turn 2. Or you can swing for 3, drop down your copter, and then play your courier and use your courier to crew your copter and get him for 6. On yeah, turn sweet. 3. Like, there's always... Or you can play, like, the carrier and, like, the uh, thing that gives you two servos. Crew it with a servo, then attack for, what, three, four, five, six. Yeah, because... No, it's, it's a lot. The best, yeah. It's a lot. The best thing is that non-sick creatures, well, sick creatures can, can crew, crew vehicles. Yes. But vehicles cannot go to battle right away because they are sick. Yeah. So you want to play, like... They're in the mechanics. Yeah, like, we've talked about hitting for three, then six on turn two and you can potentially hit for more than that on turn three because you can also amusingly enough um depending on how many artifacts are in this deck or you know given the nature of this deck actually this deck could potentially play Depala. so whenever Depala yeah, turns sideways yes. you can pay x and look at the top x cards and get any vehicles and dwarfs from it so far all of our cards in this are dwarfs vehicles and artifacts yes so like you just use that thing to crew your vehicles and then you just keep bashing while refilling your hand. Well, yeah. The th the beautiful thing is, you Dapala, use Dapala's trigger, get cards to your hand, and then use Looter Scooter to change them around for other stuff. <laughs> Never get tired of that. I, I like this thing so far. Oh. Sounds sweet. Oh, we forgot just in Duralf. Hold on, I gotta put this in real quick. Yeah, so like, Christ. so that, that's a potential deck that could break out. So we have Red White that could break out, especially during the first couple weeks. Oh, Red yeah. White is especially prone to breaking out. Because um, they just have, like, they've got good stuff now. They've got impeccable timing for removal. They've got pump spells. They've got combat tricks. They have good cards. Bomat Courier lets them recur card advantage because every time it swings, you exile the top card of your library face down. And then you can pay red to sacrifice it to get a new hand whenever you're out of hand. Mm -hmm. um, Del Paul is a good way to keep your hand advantage up by using it to crew and then paying X to look at X cards to potentially get more cards to your hand. So, like... 
these are just a couple of the decks that I think are worth noting as far as like breakout decks go. Okay. I think we're still going to have Emerge as a real threat. That's going to be a big deck still, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, we get rid of Collector Company! We do. That's a big shit yeah. right there, folks. So but yeah, I expect some variant of control deck to pop out because we haven't had like a honest true blue control deck for a long time. Oh, I'd be I'd be of so two minds on that one because I want to play Saltai because that was one of the first like successful decks I ever played. But then I've always wanted to play Mono Blue. Tim, yeah, you can play Saltai and play the control deck. You get access to the revolutionary rebuffs, the grasp of darknesses, yeah. the traverses for your emeralds to hit your delirium and get that stuff going on. Yeah. Um, well, that's that's the build I was going with before, but I also really like playing zombies. So I'm going to be of two minds choosing which one I want to play because zombies I do in limited a lot in conspiracy, and I did it in Eldritch Moon, and it was just really fun. So I'm going to have to decide which deck is more successful and which deck I like more, and see what happens. So yeah. Zombies get some new tools in Scrapyard Scrounger. Um, Red White is going to become a very oh, real and you deck. get to play Thalia to get them off tempo. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So like the Red White deck has a lot of tools coming forward. Um, it existed as humans for a time, but I don't think that it was like. Is there any Red White dwarfs? It's going to be. It, oh, and the it could potentially your be dwarf. vehicles and dwarfs plus one plus one. Yeah. Yeah, so like when you go, Gigi's in another world right now. Yeah, when you go I turn one, like an aggressive deck. I really didn't. When you go turn one, the dwarf. Turn two, the copter. Turn three, Dalpala. You're actually the attacking. Copter. Yeah, you're actually attacking for three, Four, then eight. eight. Yeah, on turn three, yeah. one of them has evasion, and one of them nobody wants to fuck with because it's a four-three. I mean, if you have three or more artifacts, has first strike now. Right, too. but the thing is, on turn three, what are most people playing? Like, Tireless Tracker I mean, like and fucking Silver Advocate? <laughs> okay, so let's say I'm on the play, though. They're shit out of luck. Yeah. Just beat the Fumigate and you win. Yeah. I mean, this deck can. This deck can very easily. Oh, well, uh... Okay, yeah. so are we ready to finish this email, yep. then? Yep, I so, guess we are. So well, there's a, more to this email? Yes, there's a brew request. A non-budget, right, colorless right. deck. Okay. Little to no Devoid cards... Walker of the Waste is a card I felt was pretty awesome that never took off. Now, this is something I've actually been curious with where I just wanted to make a deck where the mana base is wastes. Okay. Though, to be honest, you don't actually have to do that because all land cards are colorless. So we can have things like Emerge and whatnot, and that'll still mm -hmm. work. That'll still fit within the confides. I've decided this because if it's all colorless, it's going to be lame, and we're going to have the same restriction that we had with the green deck. So I'm going to give it that caveat right now. So because we didn't do a proper brew this week... We may do this one next week. But we uh, lost our pain land, so we don't have colorless swords. Do me a favor. Waste. Pull up Herald of Kozak real quick for me. Okay. I want to make sure it's wording what I think it is before I go uh, saying what I'm doing for my brew so you fuckers don't take my colors. Okay, Herald of Kozilek. Uh, Herald of Kozilek, one blue-green, devoid, colorless spells you... That's red, Tim. Huh? That's one blue-red. What'd I say? One green. blue-green. Oh my god, my bad. One blue-red, colorless spells you cast cost one less to cast. Okay. I think I see where you're going yep, with this. Yep, that's fine. Oh, God. Prophetic Prism? Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> uh. All right, nothing actually seems really straight. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I mean, that's already a deck that exists, to be fair. Like, I'm not going to do that. Um, I think Ginger's referencing the uh, Paradoxical Outcome deck. 
No, I no. Wasn't, but oh my god, was, do you not know about I was that? I thinking thing? like Aetherflux Reservoir Storm. Yeah. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah, you ah! play. Fantastic. Uh, so I'm not going to do that, but I'm going to point this one out because somebody locally did build it, and the deck looks sweet. Um, it's playing like Herald of Kozilek, and I think it's playing the Captain of the Foundry or whatever one it is that reduces the cost of artifacts you control by oh, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So we have eight Cheerios in standard. So you zero drops, Tim. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we play like one of these three drops, and then we play our Aetherflux Reservoir, and then we play all of these zero drops going. Game one, game two, game three, game four, game five. Mm -hmm. Then you cast Paradoxical Outcome. Bouncing five zero drops to my hand. Gain six because it's another spell. Draw five cards and replay all these Cheerios again. And then just, you know... And then eventually you just hit 50 life and go boom to the dome. (laughs) God damn it. So Yeah, somebody already came up with that. I wish I could say that that was an original me idea. Um, The deck is sweet. I do like it. I did say in one of our things, Paradoxical Outcome was probably going to be a card I was going to drop around with, and then somebody beat me to the deck. I think I think if I would want to build one of these using a Devoid card, I want to try to make Brutal Expulsion good. But that's in my blue-red. You can try to make it good. I don't think you will. Yeah. But, I mean, I like how it's like an unsubstantiate on top, and then it's a burn with exile on the bottom. And you could use both modes. I mean, it could, yeah. it could be Yeah, fine. you can use both. For uh-huh. three mana, I think it would be fine. Yeah, if you're reducing it with Harold Kozlik. Yep. Mm-hmm. But now Tim's on my idea. No, I've always been trying to make uh... fucking Brule Explosion. Ever since all Unsubstantiate came out and I realized the power of that card, it's like, Brutal Expulsion's a smidge... Like, if it didn't cost four, if it cost three, it'd be fine. No, if it cost three, it'd be busted. Nah, it'd be okay. It'd be like an Electrolyze almost. In Jason's Sanctum. <laughs> but that's not colorless, so that doesn't count. But, yeah... <laughs> I think the thing would still be busted at three. Do you? Yeah. Because it exiles the creature for one, and two, it, it gets them off so much tempo because it can bounce something. Oh, it also exiles Planeswalkers if that takes them out. Yeah, like, instead of drawing the card, I think that remanding them is better. I think that card would be fine at three. Yeah. And I said Electrolyze, not Remand. Yeah, yeah I know. no, but you said Electrolyze. But it deals two damage to exile something, and then it remands them on top of it. So what, you don't get to draw the card, but... And, it, and it's it's slightly more functional than remand, because things that can't be countered can't be countered by remand. But it can be by this, because it doesn't say it counters it. Yeah, it puts no, them remand back doesn't either. The no, remand says remand it Remand does say counter target mm-hmm. spell. If it's countered this way, return it to its understanding. So yes. Into the graveyard. Oh. Draw a card. I play remands in modern now, so... Okay. So slightly better than remand. Anyways, yeah. <laughs> so so that those are some ideas there. Now I've been working on like a purely colorless. I say working. I've been thinking about working on a purely colorless deck. So this actually works into what I've kind of wanted to try to do. So I might be able to have some fun with this. Is there any other things we want to talk about here? No. Yeah, I think uh-huh. that's it. All right, that's good. Nor seems super boring. <laughs> yeah, I mean this one's hard this to one. read through. What? Anywho, all right, so. I guess that's it. If you want to send us any more questions, uh, brew ideas, or just want to bitch at us how I got the lore terribly wrong, I'm pretty sure I got the gist. I don't know if there's any details I missed, but I'm sure Tyson will read through them and be like, hey, you missed this interesting tidbit. And I'll be like, I don't care. It was talking about somebody's head. Shut the fuck up. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to read the rest of them here, but it took me like 45 minutes to pile through the first one, and it's like, 
I ain't got time for this. Yeah. So remember to contact us at memorylapsepodcast at gmail.com. And uh, Bob. <laughs> Petey Bob. Yeah. What's up? I hope we can make that uh, stick. I was reading it. Oh, it's really. non-budget. We don't have that restriction, so we can go ape shit. No, I thought it was like primary colorless deck. Okay. So it has to be straight colorless. Yeah. Uh. Yeah, little to no devoid. So colors are allowed, obviously, because lands are colorless. So fuck that shit. Are and there's technically... And I'm probably going to play like 20 ways in this thing. Yeah, yeah, probably yeah. Have a lot of I'm gonna play like 18 waste and four of the uh, blue red fast land. <laughs> <laughs> seems good. Seems fair, good. Fair enough. All right, so I guess I'm just I'm gonna have to stay off the blue red train, even though I want brutal expulsion. To be I good. mean, to be fair, you could still be on the blue red train. Yeah, I mean, we could end up going down two different paths. Well, it really it really depends on what I come up with. But a walker of the waste is apparently a card that he wants to see in these. Mm-hmm. I mean, that makes sense because like. I'm not going to say a bunch about mine because I don't want to give a bunch away, no. but, like, the reasons I'm going blue-red aren't actually for Herald of Kozlik. It was just an afterthought. Yeah. That's fair. Okay. Well, I guess that's it for now, and, as usual, uh, memorylapsepodcast at gmail.com. I almost forgot our own email. How can I forget that? That's, like, the only thing I know in this podcast. But anyway. And more this week. Hey! Now, you knew this week's topic. I did step up to the plate on this one. But right, it's because I had Gingy to. didn't get... Gigi, like, sat here and waited until one of the last possible moments and was like, oh, by the way, Eldrazi Planeswalkers <laughs> to trigger both of us. Shit, witch. Anyway. <laughs> Still triggered. <laughs> so that's uh, that's it for me. Uh, so bye-bye from Tim. Gingy. This is Tyson rolling out. I'm going to my safe place where there's no Eldrazi Planeswalkers. Amy Forge Plus is in his room. Like the Kool-Aid man. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh... No, that'd, oh, no? Be, that'd be very, <laughs> very bad if Eldrazi actually existed, because we ain't Planeswalkers. In fact, if it came to, fine. like, because you know how, like, in RPG games, people raise in experience levels? I'm pretty sure most people are, like, level... Two. No, Point not one. even that, like, level a quarter. <laughs> like, not even... <laughs> There's not a lot of experience games in real life. Anyway, bye! Bye. <laughs>